0: Hello and welcome to the How CMOs Commit podcast. I'm Margaret Molloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. This is a podcast to explore how the world's top CMOs are building their brands and the professional commitments they are making as leaders. This podcast is a recording of our Future of Branding series. From the decisions facing CMOs, to the commitments they are forging. The conversations are uniquely vulnerable and strategic. Please be sure to listen to the end when I provide my reflections. This is how CMOs commit. Hello, and welcome to the Siegel and Gale Future of Branding Roundtable. Every episode, we meet five marketing leaders live to explore how they are building their brands. I'm your host, Margaret Malloy, Global Chief Marketing Officer of Siegel & Gale. Siegel & Gale is a preeminent brand strategy, design and experience firm. I think we can all agree that today, a brand is more than its name or logo or tagline or even an advertising campaign and certainly more than the purview of the marketing department. While these elements are important contributors, they are not sufficient success factors. I offer to you that a brand can be assessed by the summation of all its touch points with all its stakeholders. The fundamental shift in branding is from words and pictures to experiences. Now, in in this regard, It's a tall, complex and dynamic order. How are brands tracking against this brand building framework? What's working? How are brand leaders staying ahead? And what are the lessons? As ever, I'm joined by five CMOs from across the globe to discuss this. We have representation from B2B and iconic consumer brands. We also have a large global audience, and I invite all of you to say hi to our panel in the chat and do please let us know where you are joining from. In a moment, I will introduce the panelists. After we do the introductions, I will have one on one conversations with all the panelists. Then we turn for our commitments round and conclude with my reflections. So CMOs, as I introduce you, please answer the following question in one word. What is the desired customer experience with your brand? So think about that for a moment. First up, we have Johnny Cahill, CMO, Heineken USA, joining us from New York. A very bright and good morning, Johnny. What is your word? Good morning,
1: Margaret. Um, nice to be with you. My one word for today is elevate.
0: Okay, let's now go to India to greet our friend, Meenu Bagla, CMO, Scient. Good evening, Meenu. evening, Margaret.
2: Thank you for uh, inviting me on this eminent panel. My one word for the desired customer experience would be thoughtful.
0: Thoughtful. Okay, so from Thoughtful in India, let's go to Ireland to greet Mark Brennan, the Head of Branding and Head of All Marketing at AIB. Good afternoon, Mark.
3: Good afternoon, Margaret. Delighted to be here um, and a hello from sunny Ireland. My one word from our desired um, customer experience would be effortless.
0: Okay, let's now head over to Zurich, Switzerland to greet Dean Aragon, CEO and Vice-Chair, Shell Brands International. Dean, hello again.
4: Hey, Margaret. Good afternoon, and good afternoon, everyone from Zurich. My one word is humanized.
0: And finally, waiting patiently, Mite Monk, the head of Group Branding, Digital and Design Communications, Danfoss, Denmark.
5: Good afternoon. Thanks for inviting me. My one word is the single most hard word to pronounce for Dane, but it's authentic. Authentic. Well, I appreciate the
0: effort and you pronounced it beautifully. Oh, well, I love that we have no repetition of words, which makes for an interesting conversation. So let's start with Johnny for our individual interviews. So Johnny, Heineken, iconic brand, been around for gosh, more than 150 years, founded in Amsterdam, and arguably one of the world's favorite lagers. Your word was elevate. Tell us about that. And what is your thesis, if you will, around brand experience?
1: Sure. I'm struck by the collective words. In fact, if we can do that as a business, uh, collectively, we'll be fine. But for us, it's the idea of elevation really stems from our, our positioning as a brand. We're the world's most Uh, international beer brand very iconic and when you get to work on these brands i guess you have an imperative to deliver things of a certain quality we are always premium priced and therefore we're asking you know consumers commonly known as people to uh, share more of their dollars euros and cents for for our beer it seems very fundamental but you've got to go back to marketing 101 which is to answer the question what have you done to command that price premium And so for us, the idea of elevating in the context of customer experience applies to just taking consistently that step up, whether it's the beer itself, whether it's the brewing techniques that we use, which are differentiated to other lagers, which can be very commoditized, whether it's the consumer experience at our events, or in fact, the consumer experience emotionally as they watch our communications. So at every touch point from grain to TV, we're trying to elevate the brand experience right the way across across the board. You mentioned in your intro this idea that brands are moving from words to experiences. I mean, there's a simple way to say that, which is talk is cheap. And it is our relentless commitment to just simply trying to do things that are better that I guess we would use to separate us uh, systemically from the pack because the consumer has many other choices. But when we look at things like our uh, physical interactions with consumers, the places in which the brand shows up, way in which we speak to people, the, the thoughtfulness which we actually go about, how we touch people's lives, and all of those things feed into that idea of just elevating the brand above the pack, so to speak. Um, so,
0: Johnny, could you share an example where you had to make a difficult choice for the sake of maintaining that premium elevated positioning?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're constantly trying to find ways to uh, work out what you don't do. I think that's a very interesting question. One of the things people say is it must be amazing to be the CMO of Heineken. Can you get to do all of this stuff? And my response to that would be I kill more stuff than I do. It's my job to stop a lot of what we're doing, not only to actually pick the things that we're doing. And so we're very focused on what we want to do. Um, If I take the world of sponsorships, let's say the US as an example, look at where we show up, Coachella, the US Open, Major League Soccer, very progressive, very enjoyable, very social events, but also, uh, you know, urban, um, premium, multicultural, uh, energised rather than at, let's say, very traditional US sports. So let me take that example we simply don't dive into spaces like baseball or football or hockey because they represent a different value system to to where we're headed as a brand. And we're also, we don't have the absorption capacity to handle things of that scale as a smaller player in the US. And therefore, if we can't do it, something like NFL, then we don't do it if we can't do it at the requisite level. Um, So it's a constant battle to find things that you do, but also to have the bravery not to bite down on sometimes extremely appealing opportunities, but that deep down, you know, aren't right for the brand.
0: So, Johnny, a number of the experiences you referenced are in-person events and programming. How has 2020 changed your approach and how much of that will stay with us when arenas begin to open? I
1: think, I mean, like most consumer facing brands, a lot of our experiential went digital so for example our entire music activation moved from a physical delivery to a digital delivery and again the principles remain the same how can we make it different how can we make it better how can we elevate that experience rather than just filming what we do offline and pushing it online so I think we've seen a big transition to digital platforms to allow us to connect with consumers and I think in ways we never thought were possible one of the positive legacies from a marketing perspective of this last 18 months is things we were dipping our toes into that maybe we believe might work we've proven that they actually do work uh, for example bringing your experiential touch points to to digital platforms as we did in music as we did in sports that said uh, as a beer company of course we are all about bringing people together and we're in the business of socializing you know we make your jokes funnier we make you a little bit more engaging we we help first dates we help first dances we help first kisses So in one way, we're dying to get back to the world where we can bring people together over a beer. That probably for sure won't change.
0: And do you see a hybrid? There's so much discussion around hybrid.
1: Yeah, I think we do. I mean, I don't think you ever go back to, we're not yearning to go back to our old touch points and our old delivery, you know, as a sort of full vault fast from where we were before. I think you're gonna see some sort of hybrid solution that allows us to touch people in much more uh, consistent ways. Again, there and there's something in that for us. There are so many things you can do, but it is always about what you choose to do. And in the end, that is the defining principle, which is you've got to be consistent and you've got to give people interactions that make sense to them. Because consumers won't always say to you, I don't think that's on brand. I mean, no consumer has ever said that. But they know when things are on brand. They know in their heart, in their bones, they see stuff from brands and they say, why are they doing that? Um, now they won't go home and say, I saw something today and I think that was off brand for insert brand. They don't speak like that, but they know. And I think that for us is the, is the acid test is do you get on front of people in ways that excite them, that really energize them, but also make sense to them. So where we show up has to make sense. Now you take something like the US Open Tennis, which is a party with some tennis that makes a lot of sense for us to be there. Um, And people know that it's premium, it's legacy, it has history, it's important, it's international, it's global, it's fun. They're all things we want to be. So when a consumer sees something like that, they kind of get it and that keeps us honest.
0: And it makes sense for Heineken, marvelous. Thank you, Johnny. Let's now go to India to say hello again to Meenu Bagla, CMO of Scient global engineering and technology solutions company. Nino, before we begin the conversation proper, I have to ask you, how are you doing? How is your team? We are all very aware of the wave of COVID that you are experiencing in India.
2: We are good, we are well, and we are safe. And we are in this together. I think that's the, uh, that's the positive perspective to look at things, right? Thank you so much for asking, Dr. Maprand.
0: It's interesting, Mino, isn't it? The pandemic has highlighted the value of human capital in business continuity. And I know that's very present for you in the nature of your business. You said thoughtful. Help me understand that choice of word for brand experience and how your philosophy, if you will, around brand experiences underlies the thoughts and the executions
2: absolutely i think it's a great question margaret and uh, when i said thoughtful it's not necessarily just the desired customer experience you know we annually actually survey and ask our customers what do you think about us what has been our experiences and it actually very much aligns with what they talk about us and um, in not so marketing lingo when we say brand experience brand experience simply put is how you make your customers feel right doesn't matter if you're a b2c or a b2b brand it's all about human experiences right and i think um, you know dean pointed it out right that uh, do we need to humanize the brand experience and uh, i think i've been fortunate enough i'm lucky to you know be cmo of an organization which has very beautifully crafted the brand promise or rather the brand philosophy which is designing tomorrow together right and uh, when we talk about designing, we're, we're talking about designing experiences, solutions, services, not only for our customers, but for our stakeholders, by applying technology imaginatively to solve problems that matter. And uh, Margaret, the operating word is problems that matter. And we have chosen to solve problems that are complex, right, in high value and order. You know, the second pillar of our brand promise, which is tomorrow, which actually reflects on the future. And as an organization, we are endeavoured to create a future that's culturally inclusive, that's environmentally sustainable, and that's socially responsible. So that's the second big pillar of our brand promise. The third element, which is together. And um, if you ask me, I think that's the bedrock where we are saying it's not just us, but Um, us with our stakeholders, not only with our customers, but with our associates, investors, partners, suppliers, government bodies, the larger community, right? How do we solve the problems of the world together? And I think that's very beautifully crafted in our our brand promise. And just to give you a quick glimpse of what does it really mean for our customers, right? Um, We've actually enabled urban mobility experience of more than a billion passengers worldwide. You know, our engineering expertise have helped build the world's most fuel efficient aircraft engine. Our design expertise helped millions hear better, see better, and our manufacturing expertise has helped our nation administer COVID, RT-PCR portable testing gets of at kind but for 20 million people in the first wave of COVID within months. I think that's designing tomorrow together. And to talk about, you know, togetherness, you know, we are probably the first d organization to come to design for circularity, which is going beyond a step of sustainability. And we've actually launched a practice where we set our customer, we enable our customers to build more sustainable business practices. I think these are glimpses of how do we live designing tomorrow together, Margaret, right? Does that give you a quick view of what the brand philosophy are about, yeah?
0: Certainly does, Mino. and in listening to you, it seems very ambitious. Talk to us about the trade-offs because you have to make decisions based on those aspirations. Perhaps you would share an example of a trade-off you've had to make to stay true to that ambition.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I would say, before we stay true to our ambition, we stay true to our purpose and our values. That's the bedrock of the brand, right? And, um, you know, as we call it signed values first, the first stands for fairness, integrity, respect, sincerity, and transparency. And I can give you a recent example, Margaret, you know, where I would say uh, a moral dilemma, but it was definitely a difficult decision for us to make. So we do this um, very regular customer communication platform. We, where we celebrate our successes, right? We celebrate the results, we celebrate the performance, we celebrate partnership, and so on and so forth. And uh, financial year 2021 has been great for years. We had great Q4 results, and we were about to kind of do this whole communication with our customers. And right then, the second wave of COVID hit our nation. And we took a conscious call that uh, values first before business and we completely um, focused on just associate welfare and community support outreach and reached out to all our customers to mobilize that kind of support. I would say that's staying true to your values before you stay true to your ambition.
0: What did you do in terms of your associates? Anything in particular that felt very, to use Johnny's terms, on brand for Mm -hmm. science? Yeah,
2: yeah, I would say, you know, I think the most thoughtful thing
0: that I have seen uh,
2: a B2B brand do is, you know, all of us are so caught up to look after the people who are impacted by COVID, right? Physically, mm-hmm. medically, right? We realized that the caregivers, the family members, the associates who are looking after their family members who are impacted by COVID, there was a huge requirement. There was a huge unsaid need to help on mental health, right? People who are affected by epidemic are not just the ones who are impacted or who are tested positive, but everybody around you, right? So um, we, we actually uh, created and launched a beautiful platform in partnership with a the, with the company where there's a 24 by seven helpline for our associate to talk to somebody and not just for our associates or employees, but for their immediate family members and partners too. And this was a global helpline that we completely launched to look after the mental and the psychological well-being of our associates. So I would say that's being truly thoughtful, right? And that's what I meant when I said that our experience needs to be thoughtful.
0: Meenu, to give us a sense of the scale for that, how many associates are you? We are 12,000 plus associates globally. And finally, I recognize that you are not by any means through COVID, but do you see any of these changes staying? How will it impact your approach to innovation beyond the pandemic?
2: It's a beautiful question, Margaret, and uh, when I reflect upon it, and I must say I'm a pathological optimist, right? I can look at positive in any situation. I think the best thing that the pandemic has done for for brands or for CMOs like us is to reflect upon and made us go back to the basics, made us go back to the basics of customer experience, the thoughtfulness, the values, which means focus on the thoughtful relationship. Don't get carried away by the fancy bumbo-jumbo of branded and sponsored events and the best-of-class technology focus on what matters more for the customer, to be understood, to be acknowledged, to be inspired. I think that's the fundamental change that has happened in the approach. Of course, from an engagement perspective, Margaret, I think uh, Joni also mentioned that, uh, that we are probably that generation of CMOs who will have to create hyper and yet you know, physical, digital physical mix of experiences for our customers globally. Right? I think that's the second thing that has changed. I would say the third thing is just to reinvent ourselves and uh, reimagine for the never normal. You know, I think, I think a whole idea of uh, the new normal is shifting pretty much almost on a continuous basis, right? So I think those are the three fundamental changes in our approach that we have uh, seen and experienced.
0: Well, thank you, Meenu. Let's now go back to Mark Brennan, head of marketing at AIB, one of the two pillar bank banks in Ireland. So Mark, perhaps unsurprisingly, I followed your journey and it's an interesting one in terms of how that brand is perceived. I recall many of us who followed the various vagaries of the financial crises will realize that in many respects, the banks in Ireland were blamed arguably for the collapse in the housing markets. And I'm no doubt had implications on trust as well. So I was intrigued by your choice of word against that backdrop. You said effortless. Catch us up, Mark. Why effortless? Well, I think one of the things,
3: Margaret and, you know, look, you know, we had the distinction at one point of scoring the lowest ever score on the Edelman Trust Barometer. Um, and I think, you know, when it comes to banking, trust is a key component of the mix from a brand perspective. And we, we've spent many, many years um, working hard, improving our trust scores and our, our relationship with our customers. One of the things, you know, like talk is cheap. It's a great, it's a great phrase. Like. We can't just go out and advertise and tell people that we have changed and we're new and different. We have to show them and we have to prove by doing day in, day out. And one of the things that specifically that, you know, COVID has thrown up. And and if I could have had two words, I would have said consistently effortless because sometimes we get it right and it's great. And sometimes, boy, can we get it wrong? And I think when we look at, you know, we're a pillar Bank, lots of different customers, lots of different products. You know, we can speak in a really really complicated way that makes it really hard for people just to understand what we're saying to them we can have policies that are over engineered and over complicated we can have legacy systems that make our customers repeat themselves ad nauseam you know to our, our sales teams you know our members of staff we, we um have we can have legacy websites or legacy apps where we haven't got around to updating the UX, the UI for various different kind of external platform changes. And so the list kind of goes on. And I think from our perspective, you know, where we see pockets of victories where MPS improves and, and we know we can deliver work class, we can then see on the other side, you know, a journey where the focus shifts, you know, of their, our executive team or whatever and numbers start to slip. And I think You know, we are a pillar bank. You know, we were backed by the people of Ireland at one point and and we owe it to them to deliver, you know, an effortless experience because ultimately if we don't, you know, the fintechs are out there and they're a lot, you know, they have a lot more momentum than they would have had years ago. And they are cherry picking lots of different sections of our customer base and our product portfolio. And ultimately our best defense against that is to prove day in, day out with seamless, seamless experiences Whether they are a branded experience at a sponsorship event or whether that's somebody walking into a branch or that's somebody on our app, we're just not getting in their way unnecessarily. I say unnecessarily. It's a really important word. Sometimes the right thing is to get in their way today. Do you really need this credit? Do you really, you know, are you ready for this? You know, whatever, you know, that commitment is. Yeah. So effortless for us would be something. That's a really, really important piece. And it's probably a product of the fact that we are a legacy business. We have legacy systems and stuff like that.
0: It's so. interesting because, Mark, you're very aware that you're the incumbent, arguably. And that's really important point of departure, I imagine, knowing that you were bailed out by the Troika, the MFF, yeah. the, even the Irish taxpayer so catch us up now that was a little bit of a cliffhanger lowest performer in the index Where are you today a decade later
3: so yeah no like we're well in our on our journey i mean if you look we kind of measure kind of three um three different meaningful metrics one of them is kind of brand equity and our brand health over time and again we've just had kind of three years of consecutive improvements from a from a brand equity perspective our trust scores are now back up kind of mid 60s to high 60s, which is, you know, a 10X effect uh, from a low base. And then finally, the other piece would be reputation, corporate reputation. And it's probably, that's probably the bit where we have lagged where we want to be. And again, we're making huge, huge improvements, but we're kind of, let's say the top of our category, which, you know, isn't top 10, you know, it's kind of, kind of high 60s again, out of the top 100 firms in Ireland. And ideally we'd want to be up there in the top 10 because it is possible for financial institutions to be there like our credit unions are are there and our postal service which dabble in financial services there in the top 10 but i think within an irish context there is a kind of a a legacy narrative and it's a very you know when things flare up at an industry level we, we see that impacting our scores so yeah so like to be fair, it's been lots of hard work by loads of people over many years. And I think that's the piece that we've done it incrementally over time and uh, and through really, really consistent, uh, consistent delivery and, and right across our organization. But we have a long way to go still, you know.
0: So, Mark, appreciating the persistence, what innovation do you think had the most impact?
3: So uh, fundamentally, I think our mobile app, you know, we went very large very early with our mobile app you know kind of five years ago and it was streets ahead of anything else that was out there and at the time uh, and we still do have a younger base and actually from that perspective we can see from all our metrics that our base are much happier with us than necessarily with new entrants into the market because we've been servicing them with a great mobile app for a longer period of time like there are other Pillar Banks, I won't name them, but they you know, they added um, kind of Apple Pay this year. It's kind of crazy stuff. You know, we've had it for years. So I think from that digitalization journey, we had a burning platform. And as a business, I don't think we missed that opportunity. I think we cracked on with a lot of our transformation. As painful as it was at the time, um, we are reaping the, the, the rewards um, now. And, and even right the way through COVID, I mean, we saw kind of 10 years worth of of acceleration of digital trends in a year um, and what was really fascinating by that was it flushed out a whole load of journeys which had dead ends where you had to go into a branch and we had to solve for them very quickly because you know the government were saying you can't go into the branch you have to stay at home and yet we still needed to do business we still needed to write mortgages and so on and so forth so what was interesting about that was It was a fantastic learning curve for where are those really big dead ends that you wouldn't necessarily pick up day to day. And again, that's been a really kind of um, eye opening experience and great for us from a digital acceleration perspective.
0: You also mentioned the branch mark. And I know there's a long tradition in Ireland of knowing your branch manager, uh, a very personalized service. Where do you see the mix between digital and the branch and your investment in both touch points evolving?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think, look, ultimately, over time, they're, they will provide very much a sales and a service perspective. You know, there, it won't be that transactional place where you go. Right. So during the pandemic, Um, Basically, all those people who would have been cocooning, you know, we were able to solve for them to do stuff remotely. And so I don't think they'll ever want to come back in to queue in a branch to deposit their, you know, their 20 euro or whatever it is they have to do. On the flip side, we find a lot more of the younger generations, um, not necessarily as educated when it comes to financial terminology or financial products, and they want that. Real face-to-face interaction with someone when they're discussing their first credit card, their first loan, their first mortgage, that they're happy to sit down either, you know, face-to-face on a telephone or face-to-face in a branch so that they kind of seek out that experience. So very much from our perspective, you know, it is a sales and an advisory future we see for our branches. The transactions can happen online and, um, you know, on the phone and stuff like that.
0: Wonderful, well, thank you, Mark. And fascinating to hear the younger generation wants to visit a branch. You heard it first here, folks. Okay, let's now head over to Zurich, Switzerland, where Dean Aragon, CEO and Vice Chair of Brands at Shell International, global company. When I looked at revenue, one of the top 10 companies in the world in terms of revenue. So a large company, large impact, and your word, Dean, despite your scale, or perhaps because of your scale, was humanized. Tell us about that.
4: First of all, thank you again for having me, Margaret, and uh, good afternoon to everyone from Zurich. I hope you're all keeping well and safe, and please don't let your guard down with regards to COVID. The word that is inescapable for me as a marketer is humanized, because let's face it, at the end of the day, brands, and to the extent that they work in, is humanizations or personifications of things. And the ability, therefore, to transcend the form and function of products, services or solutions is what brands do. The extent to which you're able to imbue brands with human qualities, manifest the same in a very engaging manner, allows us to connect brands with the humans that they're supposed to serve unless you've been living in a different planet, whatever business you're in, whether it's B2B or B2C or b 2 b to they're all B2H, you know, they're business to humans.
0: So did, yet, you, yeah. did I realize that much of your business model is indeed B2B? And what do you say to the B2B marketers that suggest perhaps that might be a little progressive of a philosophy?
4: Oh, far from it. I mean, I, I worked on B2C marketing for for, min- for over two decades, you know, ha- having spent most of it at Unilever, you know, handling FMCG brands like Dove and Lynx or Axe and Tresemme. Most of the principles that you would have invoked, practiced in FMCG marketing, I would argue, are far richer possibilities in B2B. There are less humans involved. You get to know them much more intimately. Um, In FMCG marketing, you will never know enough humans to make a significant part of your business. So is it progressive? No, it's fundamental.
0: Give me an example of how you've brought that philosophy to life in terms of brand experience, be it during COVID or previously.
4: Well, first of all, I consider brand experiences or customer experiences as both organized, structured and everything else that you do in the normal course of, of the business and whatever you do, you need to make sure, particularly for a company in a, a brand like Shell, which is vast and multidimensional to make sure that there's a degree of consistency. And again, with COVID, whether it's analog slash physical or digital, you need to make sure that that same brand across the number of businesses are consistently channeling that same personality, especially the centricity of the purpose. And for us, one big example of that is, for instance, Shell Eco-Marathon. It's been around for over 30 years. Um, when I took over about seven years ago, it was one of the best kept secrets. I once asked someone in Asia, have you ever heard of the Shell Eco-Marathon? And the gentleman said, yes, I, I think I only run the half. Well, sir, it's not that kind of a marathon. And um, it's about 10,000 students, young minds, young inventors trying to crack the future of mobility using a variety of fuel and energy types and that can easily be about pure science and pure technology and pure engineering but it isn't because again as humans we may conclude with our logical left brain but we inescapably decide with our very emotional visceral right brain and so the way we appeal to students is not just to flex their engineering and scientific muscles, but to really practice human skills, come together. How do you work? How do you challenge each other? Why are you doing this? And this answer to the question why, however many times you ask it, is really what I think defines the difference between I would say traditional marketing that pretends that humans who are at the heart of our business have no heart and the correct and more fundamental marketing, which is to recognize the humans at the heart of our business.
0: How has 2020 impacted that philosophy and indeed more broadly your approach to brand-led innovation?
4: I'll be honest with you. I, Especially growing up in a developing country, the Philippines, it became very obvious to me that COVID-19 was both a threat to lives but also to livelihoods unprecedented, uh, certainly, for this generation. And so I have championed from the beginning that this is a time to serve, not a time to sell. And I I was, in fact, disappointed. I felt like there was also a mad scramble, scramble to rush to things and declare that we've done this and we've done that. I said, well, first of all, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, and we're gonna be in this for a long time. And therefore we need to be in this together if we're gonna get out of this. And I think brands also, if I say 2020, one of the things that I think some brands did very well was to just really focus on story doing versus storytelling. Some brands I thought were dashing to declare you know, what they have done and trying to you know, almost score uh, reputationally about that. And which I thought was not the time for it. I think it was a time for us to, to help. And for us at Shell, our first priority was to ensure the safety of our customers, stakeholders, and our own staff. And we had to make sure that in a number of our outlets, for instance, in our B2C business in retail, that we remained open, especially for the essential transport of personnel and goods.
0: Well, thank you for that, Dean, and for everything you do. Let's now go back to Denmark to greet Mite Mank, Heads Marketing, Communications, Branding, and more at Danfoss. So, so tell me, Matt, you suggested authentic was your word. I'll, I'll help you out here.
4: <laughs> I would <was> say <saying laughs> thank <many> you. Times.
0: <laughs> so it's authentic. So why authentic for an engineering solutions company?
5: Yeah, I would say if you had asked me a year and a half ago, I might have said consistency or consistent, because that is what we have been working for um, or towards the last seven years. But in a very dynamic and volatile world, as we have experienced, uh, actually, the last year and a half but also during the financial crisis but also some of the mega trends that we see are changing our world it puts a pressure on a brand like ours in a B2B world and uh, we have realized that it's sometimes better to be transparent than to be perfect and over the last couple of years purpose sustainability and some of these things have become Even more important for us. And, and this is where we come from. This. We have a sentence right now saying that Danfoss has never been more relevant than we are now. So it should be a party for for a brand, but it's also a transformational world for us. So this about staying true to what you are, being authentic uh, to your roots and uh, to what you can actually deliver upon is very important for me. We are a family owned company, we are present, all over the world. And um, of course, then consistency is key. And I get very proud and inspired when I go to, for example, India, when I visit my colleagues there and, and see some of the content that they produce, some of the things where they put the brand interaction in a regional or a, a local context where, where it's so easy to recognize what it is, but the look and feel it might be slightly different from what we see in in Scandinavia or in, in Europe. So this consistency is of course very important for us, but authenticity is just the key. So yeah. And it is interesting looking at your business, as I
0: understand it, 28,000 people across the globe, you are an enabler of many of these mega trends the green transition, even to some degree, the implementation of some of the requirements on the back of the Paris Agreement. How has this conversation around sustainability and these trends impacted your brand experience and the experience you're offering to your B2B clients?
5: I would say right now we are in a, a transformation phase where we are actually assessing our brand platform. We say engineering tomorrow. It's a bit like uh, what Mino said. Uh, um, is this still relevant to our audience? Is it still being perceived as delivering what it is that we all actually want to communicate? But where I've seen the biggest change as a marketeer is that years ago uh, we were very closely um, linked to sales and to market intelligence to see what trends were defining the way that we are going towards. Uh, We are still very dependent on the insights we get from our customers, but our public affairs have become uh, much more important for us to see what is going on in the larger agenda, because it's not only for our customers that we need to deliver value, but it's for the society in general. So the way that regulations go, the way that trends about transportation, for example, electrification is one of our key pillars that we stand on. These trends and these mechanisms are crucial, and that is where we need to adapt and be Agile is such a buzzword these days, but, but that is what we actually need to ensure that, that we are both relevant in the context that we're in, but also authentic to who we are and the DNA um, and our roots.
0: I asked the other panelists about decisions that inform bringing to life those words. Is there an example that you might share around how you had to make a challenging decision
5: to be authentic and stay true to those words? Yeah, that's uh, especially when when we look at the at the global presence because um, we founded uh, in Denmark uh, but um, have become a truly global uh, company, and the regionalization and the local adaptation of the brand needs to in one hand be consistent and I couldn't help smiling when I believe it was Johnny who said is it on brand or off brand because it's sometimes it's a thing that we we say so often here but again if we go back to India when we need to do relevant communication to the to the audience in India it might slightly differ and that's some of the decisions where in one hand, we need to ensure consistency, a clear design line and so on. And in the other hand, we also need to, to stay relevant and to, to show that we understand the reality that our customers and our stakeholders are in. And that's not necessarily always the same as it is in Denmark.
0: Such an interesting insight. How do you maintain consistency and authenticity, but yet have the local accent, if you will, in each market. Well, thank you. Thank you for that reminder, Mete. So now let's go back to Johnny for our signature commitments round. So Johnny, lots of great conversation about today and tomorrow, but, What is your commitment to taking brand experience to the next level? And it feels like with your word elevate, you're the right person to be starting us on a conversation around taking it to the next level. And if I could addend, how will you know you're getting there?
1: It's a great question. I was very struck by what Dean said on his disappointment around the stampede to do things because of COVID. I think every one of us has seen hundreds of touch points that start with the words in these challenging times. And it's not our role as marketeers to hold up mirrors, it's our role to hold up pathways to to joy and and ways out. I think for us, I think the commitment is to truly interrogate everything that we do to make sure that it is at that elite level, that it it is an unrepeatable experience and not an everyday experience. And even if it's an everyday moment, that moment is delivered in a way that just blows your expectations out of the way. Whether it's the cloakroom, whether it's the beer, whether it's the email, uh, that everything that we do, again, goes back to to commanding that premium positioning. And I like where Mark went as well, which is, uh, I, I think it's important to have a commitment to making things super clear. What are you actually saying to the people? What are you, you know, what does it mean Uh, We have all we have all of this jargon and all of this nonsense in the discipline, you know, seize tomorrow. What does that mean? So let's help people understand what are we saying in a way that allows them to latch on to really amazing experiences. But everything we're doing is, I guess, in the hope of just sprinkling some joy. I mean, we're in the business of smiles.
0: How do you know you're succeeding?
1: Uh, You know, it won't be a link test and it won't be a quantitative analysis of that 27% of left-handed people from Texas tell us we're doing okay. Then we'll have that too, by the way, because we all have presentations to stakeholders. And if that's where we need to go, that's where we go. But I believe you know, because of the unsolicited feedback you get from consumers, you get that really authentic feedback loop where somebody comes and takes the effort and that moment to just say, you know what? you made Tuesday a bit better. That they're the ones we look for. They're the ones, those intangible moments above and beyond the ecosystem and infrastructure of formalized market testing. Sometimes you just know because people are
0: smiling. I love it. My goal is to make Tuesday a little better for everyone I touch. You've given me a new goal, Johnny. Thank you for that. that so, Minu, same question. You mentioned your what I characterized as ambitions earlier. How do you keep getting better? What's your commitment to continuity of that brand experience? Well, I would say
2: where we are in our customer experience journey, Margaret, we have been in the business for the last 30 years, have been delivering innovation and excellence. And uh, in the customer experience journey, we have engaged our customers very well thoughtfully we need to get to the next level and start to inspire them imaginatively, right? And I think that's where um, some of the the thoughts that even uh, Dean and Johnny and others have mentioned is that how do you merge and hyper-personalize human experience by leveraging technology, right? To deliver consistent, authentic, simple experience. And um, and I think uh, Dean mentioned in one of his conversation, and I truly believe in that, and we truly practice that here, is that consistency is such an underrated quality, right? And it is so difficult to achieve. It's great to be, you know, it, it's it's uh, it's good to be thoughtful sometimes, but thoughtfulness needs to be designed, practiced, implemented, and trained, and ingrained in the culture and the mindset of the organization. I would say that's.
0: That's the commitment that we are trying to bring. And very briefly, Nino, how do you know if you're succeeding with thoughtfulness? I think these are the
2: intangible, unstructured conversations with our stakeholders, not just with our customers, Margaret, right? When you're a company with 12,000 people globally, right, you got to keep listening to your stakeholders, right? I think it's that that keeps us
0: grounded, that keeps us real. Thank you, Mino. So, Mark, same question. I know you're on that trust journey and an attempt to be effortless. What's your commitment to continuing to elevate and to raise the stakes?
3: Yeah, thankfully, I'm going third. I found a little bit of time to prep for the question. But um, for me, it's, it's, it's around going through the pain barrier. So our customers don't have to. And and what I mean by that is having the difficult conversations, challenging the organization, asking, you know, playing the devil's advocate in the room for the customer, um, asking the awkward questions and ultimately potentially sometimes throwing your toys out of the pram as a marketing department saying, you know, we're, we can't support this for X, Y, and Z reasons. And I think that's all in service that we don't push out anything that is substandard, you know, because large organizations, you know, can deliver mediocrity some, sometimes, unless you really, really challenge people. And I think, you know, Mina, I'm going to steal that quote you just said there around consistency. Um, it is such an underrated quality. And I think to predict what you're going to ask me, how do I know that we're we're doing this? Um, we get obviously, you know, like all organizations, we have huge measurement dashboards and stuff like that. But there's one kind of chart from our MPS, which shows all of our journeys, transactional journeys lined up. And the variance is absolutely ginormous. And I would love us for one day to be so consistent right across the patch, obviously high, not consistently low. I think we've been there, we've got to go to the other way. But good to know that we're, we're treating, yes, our highest value customers who are buying mortgages right the way to, down to our daily transaction ones to the same level. And I think you know, that's the journey we're on and that's when I
4: know that, yes, we're getting it right.
0: Well, thank you, Mark. Now, same question, Dean.
4: Yes, I continue to commit to uh, the humanization of our brand experience in a way that earns trust, that earns their engagement, and hopefully it also translates to earning their preference. And that's why for me in this space of energy, and we have a power in progress strategy to, to become a net zero emissions energy business by. 2050 or sooner in step with society, which are scope three emissions. And no one wakes up each day thinking, you know, gee, I wonder where my energy, you know, sort of solutions and services come from. And that's why a lot of our branded experiences are trying to bring the conversations of energy to the fore. And I will know that we're successful, that we are headed in the right direction through quantitative measures. And there's a lot of proxy measures in this topic. But more importantly, in the qualitative aspects where you know, you know, you can feel that not only are you able to convince intellectually, but you're also able to convict emotionally. And when you have been able to constantly present reasons for them to buy your products for their form and function, but equally to buy into your brand, you know that you have a brilliant combination to keep on bringing it forward.
0: So for folks to buy the offering and buy into the brand.
4: Yes, because buying a product is very short term. If you want a repeatable a repeatably successful model, you wanna make sure that there are enduring reasons for them to buy into what your brand stands for, what it's all about. And nothing is more human than our need to connect with things because we're not looking for just transactions. I'm sure your friends, the best of your friends are not transactional beings. They are people with whom you have deep connections. Brands are no different.
0: Thank you, Dean. So Mete, take us home. What is your commitment to taking brand experience
5: to the next level? Wow, that's a tough one to to close off, I think. My commitment is to, um, to make the narrative and the stories that we tell uh, much more simple. It's so hard to explain to people what it is that we actually do because we used to be a very product-oriented company. Now we are very focused on enabling the green transition of the world. But what does that mean? And that is what I would like us to show and, um, and not so much necessarily tell or explain in data sheets and, and boring stuff. So, so I, would, uh, I would like to commit us to be relevant to our audience to tell the untold stories of, of a great company with so much potential uh, in so many areas of the world in a simple way, much more simple way so that everyone oh. understands we can take the grandmother test. It's always good to, to test off a, a concept on your grandmother. If she's able to, to retell it and, and say what it's all about, then, then you have hit the nail, right? Wonderful assessment. Well, your passion, all of you, is absolutely visceral
0: for this topic and the execution of brand experience. So in thanking our panel, here are my reflections. I'm struck by the Quest to simplify, the first principles thinking expressed by our CMOs here today. A common thread is this quest to boil things down to their most fundamental truths and then create brand strategies and execute experiences accordingly. As we've all gleaned from the panel, once we have clarity on first principles, There are innumerable degrees of freedom or independent ways by which we can innovate and respond to changing environment, both opportunities and challenges. In listening to the perspectives, it's clear that at the core of developing meaningful experiences is knowing where your brand creates value in the lives of customers, employees, and your ecosystem in general. Then imagination and creativity play a vital role in delivering experiences. So in preparation for this conversation, I consider the characteristics that superior brand experiences imbue inspired by one of the world's greatest architects of brand experience, Walt Disney. Here are some of my essential brand experience qualities in the words of universally beloved Disney characters. And to our audience, I invite you to share your qualities and experiences in the chat as well. Vision if you don't know where you're going it doesn't matter which path you take the cheshire cat alice in wonderland empathy a little consideration a little thought for others makes all the difference e winnie the pooh differentiation The things that make me different are the things that make me, me. Piglet, Winnie the Pooh. Discipline and consistency. Your identity is your most valuable possession. Protect it. Elastigirl, the Incredibles. Joy, in every job that must be done, There is an element of fun, Mary Poppins. And for this moment, resilience. The flower that blooms in adversity is the most rare and beautiful of all, the Emperor Mulan. Thank you to our CMO panel. We look forward to tracking your progress as you live out the commitments shared today. Thank you to my production team, led today by Mick Smith and Alison Shiver, assisted by Aaron Proud and Aisha Ewing, blog editor Daniel Alonso, designer Gisem Karatis, and our entire Siegel and Gale team. To our audience, thank you. And you are all invited back on Tuesday, June 29th, for our special Pride edition. Meanwhile, we have two upcoming episodes of our Unlocking Brand series. On June 2nd, we will be joined from the UAE by Tabreed to discuss discovering purpose. And on June 16th, we will host 110 to explore the creation of that brand and the goal of upskilling, hiring, and advancing 10 million black Americans over the next 10 years. And a reminder to share this episode and listen to all our previous CMO roundtables, please subscribe to How CMOs Commit wherever you listen to podcasts. With that, on behalf of everyone at Siegel and Gale, I'm Margaret Malloy thanking you. Thank you for joining How CMOs Commit. You've heard the strategic insights and professional commitments of top brand builders from around the world. I hope you also enjoyed my reflections on how this conversation is relevant to all marketers. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast or your favorite podcast app. And please rate, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, this is is how CMOs commit.